the Sinai Experience, an event etched into the identity of the Jewish people, God's miraculous removal of his nation from the oppressive servitude of ancient Egypt, and the subsequent trip to receive the Torah in the Sinai Desert is our origin story. But for many Jews, this story has played a much more powerful role. It has convinced them of the unique truth of the Jewish religion. I'm Avi Cohen, and this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. Today, we're going to be discussing two more mass revelation stories. I know we've been doing a lot of them, and in the last episode, we did a ton of them. However, these two stories are going to be unique in a very, very significant factor. All the other mass revelation stories that we did previously had the same problem. The people who believed the miracle or believed the mass revelation were not the ones who were supposed to have seen it. Therefore, they were really believing it on the word of one person. Therefore, it's not a mass revelation. We spoke about this at length in the last episode. These two I'm about to tell you, though, are traditions from the people themselves who were supposed to have seen the miracles. The first is the Aztec migration. So the Aztec migration refers to the tradi- tradition amongst the Aztec people of their migration from the homeland, which was in Mexico, to the city of Tenochtitlan. And I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing that. In the year 1193. The story basically goes as follows. One day, a bird flew over the Aztec community crying, we must go, we must go. That's a real bird, by the way. After consulting their priests, the people are told the bird wants them to follow it to a new homeland. So the bird gave this call. They went to their priest. Priest said, yeah, we got to go. They start on their journey. And at some point, they make a statue of their god. This one, no way I'm getting correctly. Hutzlopachtli. A lot of pachtlis in this in this language. The god speaks to them through this statue and tells them that he will lead them in the shape of a white eagle to the place where they should build a temple for him. After wandering around, they arrive to a place called Anahuhak, the high plateau valley. There, a thundering voice called out to them, this is your country. And then they knew to stop there because of the voice that called out to them. Now, this type of mass miracle story is going to be dangerous for us. Why? Because the Aztec people believe this story and it's a part of their history. Not only that, but the story was supposed to be experienced by their ancestors. It's not just a story they believe. It's a story they believe occurred to their ancestors. So how did this story enter into their history if it did not actually happen? Now, as a side note, after thoroughly researching this story, I found an early authoritative source that relates a much more typical religious experience. So the above story that I just told you is culled from websites that we can say are not exactly academically approved. This next version, however, was written by a man named Diego Duran. Diego Duran lived in the 16th century, and he was famous for writing the first Western book on the history and culture of the Aztecs. So he's a bit of an authority. He was fluent in, in, in Nahuatl, which I guess is the language they speak, and this ability, this ability to speak their language, gave him access 
to the Aztec natives and their manuscripts. He was able to read their manuscripts, converse with them, and find out their traditions and their history. This story appears in his The History of the Indies of New Spain. Catchy title. However, in Diego's version, the god, Hutzalapachtli, only appears to the priests and all communications go through them. He never actually speaks to the people. They always ask the priest, and the priest says, this is what the god told us, either through a dream or in private. Also missing from his story is the crying bird. In this version, it is the priest who relay this information to the people as a message from the god. There's also no voice calling out to them, this is your country, which is the mass revelation part. This was again relayed to them vis-a-vis the priests. All killings, which are in the story, which I didn't mention in the first story, there was a whole bunch of assassinations, apparently performed by their god. However, they're always done at night, and they find the bodies slashed up by what appears to be very human weapons. Uh, it's always the priests who are providing the reason why they have to be killed by the god. In short, this sounds just like a classic religious story. There's no mass revelation. Everything's told over by the priests. However, for the sake of the point being made in this podcast, let's assume the story that we originally told with the mass revelation and the mass miracles was actually the story that occurs. So what's the problem? The problem is simple. If they have a story in their tradition about a mass miracles that happened to them, how was that story ever acquired if it didn't actually happen to them? It doesn't seem like there's a gap man. It doesn't seem like somebody told them this story and they're saying that was the moment we got the story. They don't have any history of that. They have a history of the event occurring and a tradition ever since. So how would that story ever be taken for truth by the Aztec people if it wasn't actually true? In other words, why doesn't the Sinai proof apply to the Aztec migration? The next story we're going to do is again amongst the Native Americans. This one is the White Buffalo Woman story. This is a tradition from the Lakota Indians. Around the turn of the 20th century, the government-appointed doctor, who was named James Walker, was in charge of the Lakota Indian tribe. During his service, Walker recorded stories from the Lakota's oral tradition and put them in a book called Lakota Belief and Ritual. Amongst those stories is one of Wahopi, the White Buffalo Woman. This book is a fantastic read. I read about a chapter of it related to this, and it was riveting. The story tells of a time when the Lakota people were starving, and two young men went out to hunt. On their hunt, they chanced upon a beautiful woman dressed in white buckskin. We all know how good white buckskin can look. One of the young men decided to grab her to take her as a wife, as is their way. And he was immediately struck by lightning and burned on the spot. The remaining man was told to head back to the tribe and tell them to prepare for her arrival. The preparation was that all the men and women in the camp had to sit around the fireplace with their heads down and not look at her until she was amongst them. As she arrived, one of the men, as men often do, looked up and was met with black smoke in the eyes and a voice that said, You have disobeyed me, and there will be smoke in your eyes as long as you live. It was reported that the man had, in fact, pain in his eyes for the rest of his life. She then proceeded to give them the sacred pipe and promised them that if they smoked the pipe, she would intercede on behalf of their prayers. And even if their prayers were not fulfilled, they were at least sufficiently calmed down by the pipe that it didn't matter anymore. 
She then instructed the shaman to place burning coals from the fire on a place, pile of grass, cause an abundance of smoke. She entered the smoke and disappeared. Now, again, this kind of story is dangerous to our proof because this is a tradition that the Lakota people have about a public miracle and interaction with the deity that occurred in their midst. It is not a tradition about a miracle that occurred to another people. So again, if this story did not happen, then how do they have this history? So of course, there are objections. First of all, the miraculous nature of this event can be challenged. The first miracle of the manganese struck by lightning, which was probably the most impressive, was only seen by one hunter. Not a mass miracle. Having pain in your eyes when someone blows black smoke in it isn't exactly unexpected either. And finally, to make yourself disappear behind a column of smoke is one of the oldest tricks in the book. So, not sure if this is a miracle. Secondly, we don't know how this tradition is known to the Lakota people. For example, if I went and spoke to a Mormon sage and asked him, what are some traditions in your religion? He might tell me the story that we mentioned in the last episode of J.C., coming down from heaven and appearing to the whole world. Now, if I don't investigate the source of the story, I would think this is a tradition from the Mormon people since the event occurred. However, since I do know their history, I know that the whole source for that story is the Book of Mormon written in the 1800s, and it's not a mass miracle. It's really a miracle told over by one man. By this Lakota story, my only source for the story is a conversation Dr. Walker had with the natives. Therefore, I cannot verify the history of this tradition. I don't know if there was a moment where somebody wrote a book and said, this is the holy book of the Lakota people, and this is your this is your story. Or, I don't know if they have in their history a moment when one of their elders said, these are the stories of your history, and nobody knew them previously. Meaning, I don't know that there's no gap man who's coming to restart this story. This stands in sharp contrast with the Jewish story, where we have a complete history with no reintroduction of tradition moment. By the Lakota people, I don't know if there was a reintroduction moment. But again, we're going to ignore these objections and assume the, assume the story is a part of their tradition, and they in fact have no record of a reintroduction of tradition. Therefore, there's a tradition starting, or it implies the tradition must have started when the event occurred, something that we have asserted is impossible unless the event truly happened. There's a third thing, I know I said two, but there's a third one we're going to add to this genre, which is the Highland tradition. Scottish people have an interesting tradition. Yes, those kilts and bagpipes. Every year, the Scottish proudly show off their tradition of their national history. However, in truth, it is not actually their history. Actually, the kilts are part of Highland tradition, which is a small minority of the Scottish population. Most of the Scots lived in the lowlands and had no kilt in their tradition. Yet, universally, the kilts have become part of the Scottish national tradition. In other words the Scottish came to believe a history to be theirs when, in fact, it was not. This, again, would seem to show that a nation can acquire a history that was supposed to have happened to him when, in fact, it did not. Or it happened to them, the nation, and, in fact, it did not. Now, again, in objection, we can say that perhaps they knew it wasn't their history and merely accepted it to create national unity after their independence from Britain, which is the context of when this, this occurred. This especially makes sense in lieu of the fact that Britain found the Highland warriors to be of great threat to them and banned wearing of the kilt. Therefore, the wearing of the kilt became fashionable as a sort of rebellion against the British. But according to research done in the book The Highland Tradition, 
another riveting read, this is in fact a case where false history was sold and accepted by a nation. So, as in the previous cases, why cribble? Let's assume this in fact to be the case. Let's assume they accepted a history to be their own, which never occurred. If that can happen, why couldn't the Sinai people, the Jewish people, accept the Sinai story as having happened to them, even though it never actually did? So, we are forced to admit it. It is true a nation could accept a history claiming to be their own that never happened. However, in truth, we already admitted this. See, we allowed for gap theory. Gap theory stated that if a religious figure came to a group of people and told them that something, even miraculous, even revelatory, even interaction with a deity, if something occurred to their ancestors, they would believe it. They would go about claiming this history as their own, all the while basing it on the testimony of one man. So why did this not knock out our Sinai proof? Why can we say that a figure much later than Moses started the religion and merely sold them the Torah as their history? The answer we gave was that if this was true, it would be in our story. Meaning, in our tradition, we would have record of this great event where the religion was reintroduced to the masses. And here's where our answer lies. In order to disprove the Sinai proof using gap theory, you need a way to show that either there really is a gap tradition in the story, i.e. in our tradition of the Jewish religion, we would have a moment where a man came and reintroduced the Torah to a people that lost it, or B, there would have to be no reason to remember the man-slash-event where this new story was introduced to your religion or people, and that's the reason why it is an intrusion. I mean, if I can show you that, no, 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 somebody did introduce the Torah much later than Moses and sold it as false history, yet there was no reason to remember him and, or make note of him in your tradition, that would also knock off the signing proof because then you would end up having a seamless tradition that in reality only started at a point much later when the event, such as the Sinai story, was supposed to have happened. Now, in previous episodes, we demonstrated how there is no gap tradition in the Jewish story, and we demonstrated how such a tradition should certainly be there, if it really was. We'll focus on it more now, because it's getting more pertinent. What are the factors that would cause an event to be remembered? So I think there are two factors which causes an event to be remembered. A, first factor, it's importance to the people viewing the event. So for example, I'm not going to remember what I ate for lunch on today's date last year. No idea. But I would remember my wedding night, which was almost five years ago. Why? Because my wedding was a lot more important in my life than my lunches. At least it was at the time. The second factor is it must contain some radical change in reality to the people experiencing it. So for example, let's say I was adopted. I'm not. It would explain a lot, but I'm not. I would remember the day it was revealed to me that I was adopted because it radically changed my reality. However, I might not remember the day I was told that my uncle had twins because it's not radically changed my reality. So I wouldn't remember the date because nothing really changed for me. It wasn't a notable event. And perhaps both these facts are really one and the same. The event has to be important and make an impact in order for you to remember it. You don't remember random details of your life. Your brain can't handle it. You only remember things that are important and take some sort of important and change in your life. 
Now, even with one within one event, there could be aspects that you would remember and aspects that you would not remember. For example, I remember a lot of details of U.S. history, and there are reasons for that. Maybe it's because I needed to pass a test. Maybe it's because I actually value American history, right? Both those things are important enough for me to remember the amount I remember. However, I sure do not remember the day or even the teacher that told me any particular piece of American history. That's because the event of me being told American history was not important. Only the actual information itself was. I didn't know the day I was told it to pass the test, therefore I didn't remember it. And it's certainly not important for me being an American to know, remember the day when my teacher told me that George Washington was the first president. I hope that's American history. It also did not change my life in any meaningful way the day I was told it. It wasn't like the next day it was a completely different world for me when I knew the American history. Therefore, it was not memorable. However, if I was told some piece of information which radically changed my behavior and radically changed my way I look at the world, perhaps I would remember the day. Yeah, that day, Sunday, February 16th, is the day that my whole worldview changed. I might remember that because that's, again, a very impactful moment. Let's apply this idea to the Sinai story. Assuming a gap theory, meaning someone later than Moses introduced the story to people who did not know it, we have all the criteria to be remembering that event, and not merely the information of that event, meaning that we are Jewish and that we know this story, but also we would remember the event where we learned that information. It was important, and it radically changed people's lives. It was a huge event, because it was the start of a religion, Nobody knew about Judaism in the gap theory, and this man is bringing it back. He is a huge, important figure in the religion because he's literally bringing the religion into the world. Not only that, but he's giving them access to a divinely written book, the Torah, and divine commandments. Assumingly, he's also reintroducing the religion on the power of prophecy. For how else would he know that we are the Jews in this book that he found? Or how else would he know of the book? Which makes it even a more profoundly religious event. Furthermore, it is radically changing our lives. The day before he showed up, we did not practice any mitzvahs and did not identify as Jewish. After he shows up, our lives are radically different. If such an event had occurred in our history, it would certainly be part of our tradition. But can we say the same about the events mentioned above? Let's force us to examine the fake Scottish history. So in truth, this question I don't even think gets off the ground. Because there is a gap story. When the Scots achieved independence and created national unity... They provided a false history. It's documented. It's documented in that book, The Highland Tradition. It's documented when the false history is sold. The people believed it because they didn't know it to be false. It's not like everybody knew history. They were told history, so they believed it. If somebody told me a new piece of history, I would believe it if it came from an authoritative figure. So that's easy to deal with. Let's move to the Aztec migration story and assume gap theory. Meaning, at some point long after the event was supposed to have occurred, one of the elders told his Aztec people his false history. So there was no actual mass revelation. Now you might ask, wait a minute, if that was true, why would they not have this tradition in their past? Why would they not have this man who introduced the Aztec story? The answer is because it's not memorable. The information is memorable. It's part of their history. It's part of their tradition. It's part of their religion. But the event of the one of the elders telling them this history is not at all. Therefore, they would remember what he told them, but not remember the event which he did. The reason is simple. The Aztec people already existed. They already believed in all the gods mentioned in the story. They already knew their religious base was the city of Tenochtitlan, and they came from a different spot. So, of course, the day their elder told them the story would not be memorable. It is not a huge religious event. Again, 
The story itself is a huge religious event, and that's why they remember the story. But the day they were told the story is not a huge religious event. And it did not significantly alter their lives. It's just a new story they have. Therefore, you can have gap story without mentioning of, without mention of the gap. Because the gap itself is not significant anymore. The final story is the Lakota Indian story. So again, this story is certainly memorable. The story itself is certainly memorable. After all, it's a visit from a god. Furthermore, it is the background story for their sacred pipe. Therefore, this story will obviously be remembered. They'll know the story. However, let's assume the pipe existed amongst the people as a sacred pipe, but there's no story behind it. Or there was a different story behind it. Then one day an elder decides he's going to provide the backstory. Or alter the backstory. Would that day that he told them the story be remembered? Is that a huge religious event? Was it that important? Was it so radical? No. They already had the pipe. They already believed in Wopi. She is but one of many gods in that religion. And many traditions. And the pipe is only one of many religious artifacts. If this is in fact how the story came to be known to Lakota people. Then there is no reasonable assumption that they were to make record of the day. And man or woman who told them the story. They would just incorporate the story into the religion. They would remember the story, but not the event when they were told it. The event when they were told it is not a highly significant religious event. It doesn't have to be. Now, this answer might alarm you. This idea that they had the pipe earlier and then the story was added later. If we can say that they already had the pipe and the religion and the background story was only added later, why couldn't we say the same thing about the Torah? Perhaps the reason why we do not have record of the gap guy is because he did not introduce the religion. He merely introduced the history of the religion, the public revelations and miracle business, meaning there was a basic story and the people kept the commandments, but there was no mass miracle story to start it off. And this man, whoever he was, the Gap Man, was the one who introduced the Sinai story, the plagues in Egypt, the splitting of the sea. So maybe they wouldn't record him as the Gap Man because he merely added a backdrop. The answer to this is again a striking difference between the Sinai story and all other miracle stories. See, we have this book called the Torah, a book claiming to be written by God. And in that book itself, it ties the background story, us leaving Egypt, all the miracles, with the commandments and the origin of religion in one book claimed to be written by God. Now, if that book did not exist since the beginning of the religion... And Gap Guy, whoever he was, would have introduced it. It most certainly would have been a remembered event. The man who gave us the written book of God? That is a huge religious moment. And if he didn't give us the book, then that means the book always existed. If the book always existed, it already contains the background story in it, which is supposed to be written by God. This is a huge religious moment if he had actually given to us. Especially considered the Jewish tradition. We have tradition who wrote the prophets. We have tradition who wrote the Mishnah. We have tradition who wrote the Talmud. Yet somehow the man who was supposed to have given us the very book written by God is absent from the tradition. This is the height of absurdity.